Please turn in your Gospels to Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. If you are new to Highlands this morning, you have just walked in on a series of sermons on the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, where Jesus taught seven parables back to back about the true nature of the kingdom of God. And uh, we are looking at parables three and four of the seven this morning. And this is the word of God, Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman worked, took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. I come from a small town in northwest Florida called Quincy, Florida, and uh, not unlike a lot of Small towns, my hometown is primarily an agricultural community, so I kind of get Mississippi, you know. I've lived in a Mississippi, not in Mississippi. And, uh, you know, just, just those good southern folk, and I think I'm related to probably two-thirds of the people in town. And it was back in the early 1900s that a strange visitor came into that town, and we always knew who were the visitors, uh, because we knew everybody in the city, and And he came into that town selling a really strange product. He had been sent from Atlanta, Georgia, down to Orlando, Miami, and Tampa to try to get initial funding to to get the production of a product off the ground. And he was absolutely feeling like a failure. Nobody bought it. I mean, who would want to drink a cold, dark, syrupy, cocoa-based soft drink. Well, Mortimer Bates was the president of one of the two local banks in Quincy, Florida, and he just happened to be in the diner that morning, and he noticed these men from Atlanta, and he walked over and said hello and sat down in their booth and asked them, you know, where they were from, what, what they were, what are y'all doing here in Quincy, Florida? And, and they began to tell Mortimer Bates about this product and about how they felt like it could really catch on. And Mortimer Bates suddenly had a, a, a flash of realization in his mind. And he said, listen, could you do me a big favor? Could you stay here in Quincy for three more days and I will bring you all the investors you need? They said, sure. Well, Mortimer Bates knew most everybody in the town, and he went out and he got some of his friends together and, and sat them down and said, you have to buy this. I'm telling you, I'm president of the bank. I know it when I see it. You've got to buy this. And uh, they kind of started getting excited about it, and they started telling me, uh, long story short, after three days, they were, the people of Quincy, Florida, were lined up to buy this product called Coca-Cola. And... Um, Most everybody bought it. 
And they just didn't think about it that much. I mean, they didn't buy a lot. They didn't think about it that much, just went on about their business. That is, until this insignificant product became the greatest marketing success of the 20th century. And everyone that bought that stock in those three days became a millionaire. Every single one of them. In fact, my hometown was the wealthiest city in the United States per capita until 1971. It's amazing how small things can have a huge impact. I really wish my family had bought that stock. (laughs) I hate it when that happens. (laughs) Jesus says, basically, that's what the kingdom of God is like, like, not my, the failure of my family, but the, the small insignificant stock that, that basically takes over the, the, the capitalistic enterprising world. It's, it's this way. It, it starts small. It, it, it starts quiet. It, it seems insignificant. Not at all the way people in Jesus' day, as they were measuring whether he was the Messiah. You know, the Messiah was the one who would usher in the the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The inaugurating of that kingdom, pressing heaven, pressing into the world. The kingdom of heaven growing and, and moving on the earth through salvation, through Jesus. People at that time were measuring what they thought about Jesus because their thought about the kingdom of God is not that it starts small, but it starts big and it, and it's, it starts with power and it overwhelms. Today we look at what I would like to call the dynamic of the kingdom. It's the parables of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. And there are two things that I want us to grasp this morning, and and I hope that it will really encourage you. The first is that not all small beginnings mean small outcomes. And the second is that not all revolutions are loud. Not all small beginnings mean small outcomes. And not all revolutions are loud. The first is this notion that Just because something starts small doesn't mean that it's never going to make an impact. Not all small beginnings mean small outcomes. In the case of Jesus, as I mentioned last week, even John the Baptist was beginning to wonder. And he sent a messenger to Jesus while he, John the Baptist, was in prison saying, Are you the one? Or or shall we expect another? And uh, the question behind the question was this. Where's the firepower? Where's the shock and awe? Is, Is this what we've waited thousands of years for? You know, where where is, yeah, we see the miracles, but we're looking for a lot bigger things than lame people who walk. And blind people who see, one scholar states, for all the confidence that we now have in the sufficiency 
of Jesus Christ, the first disciples were beginning to wonder, and I love this, if they had hitched their wagons to a falling star. But Jesus says in this chapter in Matthew, and particularly here, that the kingdom of God isn't like that at all. It is powerful, but, but it does not look the way you think it ought to look. It doesn't come just the way you think it ought to come. For now, Jesus says, I tell you what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And they're saying, what? A mustard seed. Now, this is a figure of speech that Hebrew people at that time used all the time. We know that because Jesus employed this common figure of speech in Matthew 17, 20. Jesus used this, this idiom when he said these words, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And so, in other words, for Jesus to say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, that's not the first time anybody's ever said as small as a mustard seed. That means insignificant. That means tiny. That means no count. The littlest seed, and these people knew their seeds because they didn't have supermarkets at that time. Everybody was growing a little something. And the mustard seed was important medicinally. It was important as a spice and it had other importance. So this was a prominent thing. Everybody knew, you know, you can't, it's so small you can't hardly hold it in your fingers. You ever planted a garden with seeds so small, and, and, I, and this has happened to me, that when you get it to try to plant it, you drop it. And you can't find it because it's so small. And so you've got to hold it in the palm of your hand. Small, maybe if we were to think about something today that might be like this, maybe small like a microchip. Can you see a tweezer with a microchip on the end? And let me tell you, in power, in potential power, and this is going to be the point, a lot like a microchip. That's what the kingdom of God is like? Yeah, exactly. It always starts small. It always feels insignificant and to lots of people irrelevant in the beginning, largely unnoticed. I love Zechariah 4.10. Who despises the day of small beginnings? Who despises the day of small things? I I used this verse a lot and, and used to try to encourage my people when we started a church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with nine people and no money. You're talking about small beginnings. And I'd say, hey, hey, don't worry about it. This is the, this is the kingdom of God here. Come on. Come on, let's go. Let's trust God. Let, let's live in the gospel. Let's live for the gospel. God will use people that simply believe, even people like us. And you know, the Lord blessed that. I mean, there were people from Tuscaloosa, kind of like, you know, small or deep southern towns. They're not sure about new things. I mean, some people thought we were a cult or something. It took three years for hardly anybody from the town to come to my church to realize, oh, they're okay. I mean, they're like real Presbyterians and et cetera. But uh, the Lord just blessed and that, that small little insignificant thing in fact, two years ago, I went for the dedication of their brand new building on their new property, very similar to, to the situation that, that Highlands is in. That, 
That's the way it starts. You know, I look at Highlands. You know what I see? Of course, I see a very friendly, open-armed church. I, I see a church that accepts people right where they are. And, and, and I see a church that tries to live out God's grace in a kind of liberty of conscience. And I love that. I see a great church here. I saw that six years ago when we arrived here. But look, I got news for you. Something even more than that is the amazing potential for the kingdom of God of this group of people in this place. As the old saying goes, we need people who look not at the apple and count the seeds, but look at the seed and count the apples that can come from it. You see, not all small beginnings mean small outcomes. Look at verse 32. Though it is the very smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Something you cannot hold, hardly can't hardly hold in your fingers, becomes a tree. Two different varieties back then. We're not sure exactly which one Jesus is referring to. One grew to a maximum height of 10 feet. The other grew to a maximum height of 25 feet. These are big plants. William Hendrickson, the New Testament scholar, says, among seeds sown in a garden, it was the smallest. As a plant, however, it reached 10, sometimes 15 feet in height. In the fall of the year, its branches became rigid, and the plant often served as shelter for birds. Of many kinds. It's an amazing contrast, is it not? That's what the kingdom is like. A very small seed that becomes an overwhelmingly large tree over the, the, in, 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 in relation to its size. It's the dynamic of the kingdom. You can't believe how something that appears so small can become so large. Simon Kistemacher, my New Testament professor, wrote a book on the parables, and, and I love his words here. Jesus' followers consisted of a few uneducated fishermen who were told to make disciples of all the nations. I mean, that's that small seed, right? I mean, here are the bumpkins who are supposed to transform the world. He goes on, These followers set the world on fire with the message of salvation by grace which today is proclaimed in nearly all the known languages of the entire world. The tiny seed sown in Galilee at the dawn of the new age of Christianity has become a tree which today provides shelter and rest to people everywhere around the globe. And yet the day is still not spent and the tree has not yet reached maturity it is still growing, and there's still room for more birds to rest. Today, starting with 12 disciples, there are an estimated, and I looked at this up, this is current. You know how many believers they estimate are in the world? There's 6 million people in the world. It is estimated there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. The next most populous religion is Islam with 1.6 million people, which means those two religions occupy an enormous space 
of the and then there's so many other religions hinduism being a very large religion people who are secularists who think that they are so smart and every, literally have to say that 99% of the world is stupid and the idea that religion is going away because people are just going to evolve to a place where they don't need god is silly 2.2 billion people Overwhelmingly, right now, the fastest-growing religion in the world started with a tiny, tiny seed. Could anybody imagine what is taking place in the third world right now in Christianity? The Southern Hemisphere. Not us people in the North. Not the people in North America. Spin the globe. Stay in the Northern Hemisphere. Not the people in Europe. Those are the old centers of Christianity. No, it is the new Southern hemisphere that numerically now dominates the north i would have never thought that i would see this in my life it is nothing less than the dynamic of the kingdom christianity is going wild in these places and people are hungry for the gospel they are hungry to know the one true and living god i guess that's those superstitious stupid people on the other side of the globe. No. No. That, those are the people who get it. And are coming to know Jesus in droves. And an enormous tree of salvation and grace and forgiveness and eternal life. And generational love and blessing is growing in those places. And in certain places in the northern hemisphere. One of those places is in this church. It's amazing what God has done in this church and wants to do. Same Jesus, same kingdom, same gospel. Be encouraged. Not all small things. This is the mustard seed. Not all small things, beginnings mean small outcomes. But the second thing is not all revolutions are loud. Not all revolutions. I mean, we think of revolutions, you know, um, we just went to uh, Virginia Beach, and we went a day early to, to go by, swing by Williamsburg, and, you know, they were acting out the um, kind of the things that fomented the, the Revolutionary War. There was a lot of shouting, wasn't there, um, looking at Brad and Cindy, and, man, there was, just, there was just hot tempers everywhere. There were cannons going off and muskets firing. It was, revolution's loud. Not this one. Not all revolutions are loud. He told another parable saying the kingdom of God is like yeast or leaven that a woman mixed into a large amount of dough until it worked, verse 33, through all the dough. Yeast is not, yeast doesn't have a swagger. You know, you, you, you read in Luke chapter 13 about, this is about something small and quiet. You don't even know that, that leaven or yeast is working. You don't put yeast in a dough and it's just not, there's not muskets going off, but it's an absolute revolution going on in the midst of that lump of flour, is it not? And, and yeast doesn't have a, a swagger. You don't know it's there. In Luke 13, 20, the other, one of the 
other two, there are three places where this parable is told. Jesus even contrasts the smallness of the yeast with the enormous amount of dough and therefore the power, this quiet revolution, this transformative power of something so small and yet quietly it's just happening and it's unstoppable. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus said in Luke 13, 20, again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Luke 13, 21, it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into, a little bit of yeast, you ready for this? Mixed into about 60 pounds of flour (laughs) until it worked through all the dough. Now there it is. We're not talking about one little lump of bread that you put in one of those little rectangular metal bread, what do you call them, cookers or, you know, a trays, pan, thank you, bread pans. This isn't like something somebody's doing on a Sunday afternoon. This is 60 pounds of dough that cannot stop the quiet revolution of a a small little half handful of yeast. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The gospel is not boisterous. The power of the gospel is not threatening and aggressive in, a, in, a, in, a, in an intimidating kind of way and loud. And you know, when it's the gospel, hear me, it's not oversold either. It's not hype. Folks, go ahead and just take an, a load off your mind. We don't need you to hype the gospel. We don't need you to convert anybody. We don't need for you to sell anything. Just like that leaven. Just live it. And in normal tones, relational tones, talk it. It is so powerful. It is utterly transformative. It's not loud, it's not hype, it works quietly, the kingdom of God, but effectively. Have you ever been around people making a lot of bread? You have, because you make all the bread for communion. You go away for how long, Craig? You put all that stuff in there, how long do you st- let, it, let it? A day, okay. I was about to say some hours, I'm glad I asked you. You go away for a day, all that little packed dough, Three times the size, four times, I don't know. You're the culinary person. But you can't believe the difference. And you know, you slept through this. You didn't even hear it going on in the kitchen. It's probably the most powerful transformation that has happened in your home in the last 24 hours is what happened in that dough. And, uh, and that's what the kingdom of God is like. It is a quiet revolution because the gospel, the gospel of God's coming to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, the gospel of our liberty to a relationship with God and our rest before a God of holiness, the removal of our cosmic guilt that we carry around from birth because He is a holy God and we are sinners, and the removal of all that and the resting in the arms of a Savior who will always love us because it is rooted in what He has done and not what we do, that is transformative to who we are. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. And gospel-transformed lives 
quietly change the world. We engage the world. Reformed people. This is Reformed theology in case you just walked in. We don't run from the world. We run to the world to show and tell the gospel in ordinary life. In or, because that's the way yeast works. It's just in an ordinary, powerful, and effective way. I watched a PBS biography a while ago on the great inventor, Nikola Tesla. Uh, really interesting. He lived in Colorado Springs where, where I lived. He was, he was uh, experimenting with, with all this electricity and wanted to actually send electricity through the air instead of wires. And the thing was blowing up and the neighbors were complaining and they kicked him out of Colorado Springs. He's like the mad scientist, you know. This guy would not be deterred. I mean, he had a dream and it was all about electricity. There was a contemporary inventor, Nikola Tesla, brilliant, but he's just an immigrant that nobody knows uh, from Eastern Europe. He, he lands over here. He's working like yeast. He's working in obscurity very quietly, but he had a contemporary who was not at all like that. He was the thousand-pound gorilla of inventions. Do you know who that was? Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison invented the incandescent light, you know, the ones we're going to wish we still had in about two years. Uh, he invented those light bulbs, and when he invented the light bulbs, I'm sorry, I had to say that. Um, <laughs> when he invented the light bulb, and then he had a great idea. You know, I could make millions of dollars if I invented the power plants to power. I could sell the light bulbs and the power to the light bulbs, and sure enough, he, in, he developed this thing called direct current. We still have it around. Huge power plants. A couple of cities up in the northeast gave the contract to Thomas Edison. And here's Tesla. Here's Tesla quietly working in an obscure laboratory on, on his own thought. His own thought. Tesla invented something called alternating current in this obscure laboratory fascinating story you'll have to watch it online through netflix or something i don't know where you'll get it but um his when he when he had the breakthrough his laboratory was suddenly burned to the ground i mean there's just so much espionage and like industrial terrorism and all this stuff going on in, in tesla's story he just lose it all, just burn to the ground. He'd start over every time because he just knew that this thing was right. He started over, kept working. Eventually, it was Tesla, not Edison, who prevailed. All of our power plants today are AC. They are alternating current. When it comes to electricity, Tesla rules. Not the big, powerful person, but the, the yeast person. You see, Tesla didn't win because he outproduced Edison. Tesla won because he came up with a transformative idea that literally transformed the way everybody thought and everybody's experience to electrify all these new gadgets. Today, we might look at, again, the microchip like that. I mean, you know, you, you, you got that tweezer and there's a little microchip and people off kind of working on these microchips. Nobody cares. And we have a 
digital revolution, a transformative information age and digital revolution in our hands because of that, those quiet people with transformative ideas. The gospel of the kingdom is like yeast. It is hidden very often. It seems obscure. It's growing off stage. And the ways of the world seem to be in charge, seem to world rule, but there is a revolution that's on. And, and King Jesus is going to win. And grace is going to win. And, and sacrificial agape love is going to win. Because the yeast parable doesn't just emphasize the size of, of the seed to the tree. The yeast parable talks about how the kingdom is utterly transformative. Truth about the kingdom of God while we're sitting here this morning, is that it will not only grow, and sometimes at an amazing pace, like it is in the southern hemisphere now, but it will eventually displace everything else. When Jesus returns, after that, there won't be anything but the kingdom of God. Do not be fooled by what you see. There's yeast in this dough of this world that cannot be stopped. And it is for the good of the people. It is good news of great joy for all the people. The gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of the gospel. But finally, there is that little part about the tree and the birds. Don't you find that interesting? I mean, we get small to big it's quiet, transformative. But if you'll go back to verse 32, it's the part about the birds. The birds don't have to come into this parable. Because we can have the mustard seed tree without the birds and understand this parable. So why are the birds in this parable? Verse 32, though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Some people think that's the Gentiles and how Jesus will open up the entire world through the apostles to salvation. And the floodgates will open and the birds from everywhere, literally in Greek it's the, it's the wild birds, the birds who have no home, will we'll come and, and nest in these branches. I love this. You see, the kingdom of God isn't just a proportional thing. It literally is becoming something that literally is a place for so many millions, in fact, to come and find shade and true rest. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Look, this isn't just about the amount of stuff that needs to be done. This is about the true rest of the soul. And the lack of war with God. And the true peace. And embrace forever through the gospel. And I want you, us to, to think about Highlands as we go out. Um, as we are 
selves are transformed by this gospel of the kingdom. In a busy world where there is no rest, if we can find rest. Didn't say you weren't going to be tired. Didn't say it wasn't going to be complex, okay? There's no panacea. We're going to live through life like everybody else. But, but as we ourselves are transformed by this gospel of the kingdom, where we can perch in that tree and have that shade of grace and true rest, our own children can perch in that tree. You ready for this? And their children can perch in that tree. Isn't that beautiful? And thousands of people, not hundreds, if the Lord tarries, thousands of tired, sin-sick, soul-weary people will come to Christ and perch in this tree. May it be so. And may it be so all over the world. Thy kingdom come. He reigns. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we pray that you would open our minds to the reality of the kingdom. We pray that you would grant rest to weary people today through the gospel. Come to Jesus if you've never come to him. Turn away from everything you've called Christianity, all your works, all your trying to impress God, all your deals. Put away everything else and just turn to what Christ has already finished and done. Trade in your sin that separates you from a holy God and just get a relationship. Come, into, come perch in the tree and rest. And Lord, there are many of us that need that rest. One of the reasons we struggle with the transformative nature of our faith is that we ourselves need in a fresh way to rest in the gospel of the kingdom today. Would you help us understand where our acceptance, our love, where that rest comes from and lead us back to the cool, clear headwaters of grace that we might rest and lead us out into the world that that, that peace and rest and love and grace would be known by others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.